We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark for a long, long time now, and we've come now to the near the end. We're in the 15th chapter, and uh, we're in that part of the story that recounts the arrest and the trials and the crucifixion of Jesus. It's, uh, in fact, holy ground. There's no doubt about it. The uh, heaviness of our heart as we read this about the unjust, false accusations, unjust persecution, unjust mistreatment, and then uh, the, the unjust trials, and then the crucifixion of Jesus is heartbreaking as we read it. So I would uh, start my message off today by asking the question, who is responsible for this atrocity? Who is responsible for the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus? And, uh, right, okay. Well, all right, all right. And uh, there are several ways you could answer that. That's one of the answers we're going to give. Uh, we could say, well, Judas, he's the one that betrayed him, turned him over into the hands of wicked men, and, and that'd be true. Judas had his part in it. In fact, Jesus said to Judas, uh, uh, go and do what you're going to do. But uh, others would say, well, you know, it was actually the, the Romans because it was a Roman governor who actually sentenced him to death, although he didn't want to, but he did. And, and then it was Roman soldiers who actually drove nails into his hands and feet. And so that certainly would be true. The Romans certainly had their part in it. Others would say, well, it's uh, really not so much the Romans or Judas. It's the uh, Sanhedrin. It's the Pharisees. It's those false religious leaders that uh, they're the ones that came up with the, the plan to have him killed. They're the ones who came up with the, uh, with the false charges. And they're the ones who had the mock trial and... They're the ones who actually took him to Pilate so that Pilate could sentence him to death. And there would certainly be truth in that as well. And then there are those who would say, as Lynn said, hey, we're the ones who did it. It was our sin. I was there. We sing that song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Yes, the answer is yes. I was there. And I was... uh, I was there in Christ. My sin was on him. So that would actually also be accurate. All of those would be looking at it from earth's perspective. We'd all be looking at it from a human perspective. We'd say, well, I'm the one that was guilty. Uh, Pilate was the one who sentenced him. Uh, The Romans were the ones who crucified him. Judas was the one who betrayed him. And uh, the Sanhedrin were the ones who... uh, who brought the false charges and had him crucified. But I want to suggest another answer. If you look at it from heaven's side, and I, I please understand me here. I, you know, Some of you might think I'm being almost blasphemous, but I'm not. I'm being biblical. I'm being true. I tell you who really had Jesus crucified was God the Father. God the Father put him on the cross, in our behalf, in order that his justice might be satisfied and the wrath 
of a holy God against sin and against sinners could be appeased, and so sinners could be saved. And if you just want some scripture for that, listen to Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Without minimizing the, the, the sin and the wrong of the people involved, the Bible says in Acts 4, 27 and 28, for truly in this city, now Peter's preaching a sermon here, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, he's talking to God, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So he said there's a whole bunch of folks complicit in this. To do whatsoever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you hear that? That before Jesus was ever born, as a matter of fact, this blows people's minds, but even before the world was created, there was a plan. If you could go back and back and back and back in time, and you could go back before the creation and enter into heaven, you would find a lamb with its throat cut. A lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And that lamb was the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And before the world was made, God the Father and God the Son entered into a covenant a blood covenant that would require the death, the sacrificial death of the Son of God in order to take away the sin of the world. Listen to this verse, John chapter 10. I mean, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. Jesus is before Pilate. We'll talk about this a little further in a minute. And Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Pilate was asking Jesus some questions, and Jesus didn't answer him. Jesus just stood there. And Pilate says, You're not going to talk to me? Don't you know who I am? I have the power to kill you. And Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He said, Pilate, you think you're in charge here? You're not in charge here. You think I'm on trial? Tell you the truth, Pilate, you're the one that's on trial before me. But you don't have any authority to do anything unless it had been granted to you, given to you by my Father. And then listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is a Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan 
and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yeah, there's two, two perspectives of view here. From earth's perspective, there were lawless men, Pilate, Herod, Judas, Annas, Caiaphas, this rogues gallery who teamed up to have him put to death. But behind the scenes was God the Father who said, this is not something that is happening incidentally or accidentally. This is something that has been predetermined and planned from before the beginning of time. And then in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, the prophet Isaiah looking ahead sees a suffering servant. He's talking about Jesus here. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed. I'm just telling you what happened on Calvary was not a surprise to heaven. It was a planned event. When Jesus came into this world when he was born in Bethlehem the time we celebrate Christmas it was announced that he would be the Savior. It was announced that he would glorify God and that he would be the one who would provide the salvation that we need. But he would do that through his death, through his crucifixion and his resurrection. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, just this one other verse before we get into Mark. For our sake, this 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin. In other words, our sin was laid on him. In order that we might become the righteousness of God. So an amazing thing happened on Calvary. God took my sin. And put it on Jesus. And Jesus died for that sin. And was buried. And rose again. Praise God. So that God could take Christ's perfect righteousness. And put it on me. 
so that I could stand before God in faith and he could say to me, I see no sin. All your sin I saw on the Son of God who took it away. And I look at you and I see now the perfect righteousness of my Son. Now I know that confuses people because the truth is even those of us who are saved and know we're saved know that we still sin. We lose our temper. We say things we shouldn't say sometimes. We act in ways that we're ashamed of and sorry for. We uh, yell at our wife, maybe. I, I'm not going to do that. But, uh, but we, uh, we, we do things, we yell at our dog. <laughs> and I am going to do that. And uh, so we, we, we know that we're not perfect. And yet, the Bible declares that when God looks at us, who have trusted in Jesus. He does not see that sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. You see, yeah, but what, well, what do we do then with the sin that we commit after we get saved? The Bible says we confess. That is, we say the same thing about that sin that God says about it. That's what the word confess means. It's the word to say the same thing as. It doesn't just mean to admit it. It means that we, we declare about our sin what God declares about our sin. And what does God declare about my sin? That it was placed on Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all sin. Now, folks, that's just worthy of an amen. Amen? It's even worthy of a bigger amen than that. Amen. All right, that's better. Okay. And uh, so when we read the account in the Gospels, and all four of the Gospels give us the accounts of the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. We need to read it from that double perspective. We need to read it from the perspective of what's happening that men can see, but also what is happening that God has determined ahead of time. And God did not look from heaven at the crucifixion and shake his head and say, I can't believe they're doing this. No. They were doing what he had predetermined by his foreknowledge, his determinants ahead of time, that would happen for us. Now we come to the Gospel of Mark, and we read in chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm just going to go through this, make a few comments. Let me just say that what has happened up until this time, Jesus had been with his disciples. They had instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, 
And then they sang a hymn. They went out into the garden. Jesus spent time in anguished prayer, praying so earnestly that his sweat became drops of blood. His disciples couldn't stay awake, even his closest disciples. And then the soldiers came. Judas led them. Judas betrayed him with a kiss, and the soldiers arrested him, and the disciples fled. And they took Jesus first to Annas. Annas had been the high priest many years ago, and, uh, and, and his sons, and now his son-in-law, had been high priests after him. All of them were corrupt. It is amazing how corrupt officials can become if they stay in power too long. Isn't that the truth? That's one reason that in the wisdom of knowing human nature, our founding fathers declared that no one could be president longer than two terms unless he came in. He couldn't be elected president more than two terms. Now, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, but they also realized after that that he shouldn't have been. And so no one can stay in power like a king in England or a queen. And that's all I'll say about that, except to say that people who are in power too long gravitate in the direction of corruption and selfishness and greed and power. So that's what had happened to Annas. And Annas, Jesus is brought before Annas, and Annas tries to bring charges against him, and he can't find any way to charge him. He gets some false witnesses to come in and lie about him. But there's no way to corroborate what they're saying. It's just lies. And all they can say is, well, I heard him say one time, just hearsay evidence. And finally, Annas asked Jesus outright, are you the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And then Anna said, well, that's that's all we need to hear. So then he sends him to Caiaphas, who is his son-in-law. Caiaphas is the head of the Sanhedrin, which is what we'd call the, the supreme court of Israel. And there they try also to find charges against him. But they can't find any way to condemn him until they just finally get him on the charge of blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. You are saying that you are God's son. And that's blasphemy. And they said, you deserve to die. But they had a problem. The Jewish court could not sentence a man to die. Not legally. Now, I know some will say, well, didn't they stone Stephen? Yeah, but that was mob uh, what do you call it, action. It wasn't a legal thing. The Jewish court could not sentence anyone to die. 
So they said, if we want him dead, if we want him crucified, the Romans have to do it. So from about 3 o'clock in the morning, he was arrested in the garden. He was taken to all these trials at night, which was illegal, till about 3 o'clock in the morning, which is the time that actually in Jewish life, they would blow a trumpet at 3 a.m., and it was called the, the cock's crow. That may be what was being talked about when it says the cock crow. It could have been a rooster. It could have been just the trumpet. And, uh, and so from 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock in the morning, or maybe 5, the sun would come up earlier in Israel. Jesus was mocked held as a prisoner, abused by soldiers. And then as soon as daylight came, as soon as it was morning, they wanted to get him to Pilate. This is the day before Passover. So they had to get him crucified that day. A rush to judgment. So here's where we pick it up in Mark chapter 15. As soon as it was morning, The chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Now, Pilate is a very interesting character. Historically, we know a lot about Pilate, but we wouldn't even know Pilate's name if it hadn't been for Jesus. But uh, Pilate was a, a governor appointed by Rome to help bring some peace and stability to the area of Israel. He hated Israel, by the way. He hated the land and he hated the people. And uh, his wife seemed to have been sympathetic, especially to the teachings of John the Baptist. And in fact, his wife had had a dream the night before all this happened. And in that dream, she was warned, have nothing to do with this just man. He's innocent. He's not guilty. And she even told her husband. to, And, and then when the people said that he claimed to be the son of God, the Bible says Pilate was terrified. He said, here my wife gives me this warning, and now they're saying he's the son of God? Am I supposed to? Crucify the Son of God? And he trembled. No wonder he didn't want to put him to death. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, "Uh, You have said so. In other words, you said it. It actually means yes. And Pilate and, and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. He was absolutely amazed that Jesus wouldn't say anything. And by the way, Mark doesn't tell us about it, but at this point in the story, Pilate found out that Jesus was from Galilee. 
And so he sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, who was the governor of Galilee. And Herod questioned Jesus, and Jesus spoke not one word to Herod. There's a sermon I have preached over the years called The Man That Jesus Wouldn't Talk To. And Herod was that man. Herod asked him lots of questions. Herod tried to get him to do some miracles. Herod was terrified of him because he thought it might be John the Baptist come back to life. Because Herod is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod is the one who married his own brother's sister and lived in incest and adultery. And John the Baptist pointed it out. And his wife, Herodias, instituted a plan to get John the Baptist beheaded. That's the Herod. He is the son of Herod the Great who ordered the execution of the babies at the time when Jesus was born. That's the family he comes from. And so this Herod, he asked Jesus all kinds of questions. We read about this in the other Gospels. And Jesus never answered him a word, not one word. And finally Herod said, back to Pilate with you. So he sent him back to Pilate. And then... Now, at the feast, Pilate used to release for them a prisoner, one prisoner for whom they asked. This was kind of a custom, a tradition, that every year at Passover time, the governor would release some prisoner. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. It's an interesting name, Bar, the word Bar always means son, son of. So Simon Bar-Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. And so Bar-Abbas, what does the word Abba mean? Father. So this is the son of the father. The father's son. The father's son. That's amazing, isn't it? So there... Crying out, and, and, and so he asks the people then, uh, the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, and he answered, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas. He says, who do you want me to release? The father's son or the true father's true son? It's interesting. And they cried out, Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And I think that Pilate probably chose Barabbas because he thought, of all the prisoners that I have, this is the one that they surely wouldn't want me to release. But the hatred for Jesus was so great that they preferred an insurrectionist, a rebel, a thief, to Jesus. And then Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with this man? 
that you call king of the Jews. And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What, what evil has he done? And of course, not being able to give any logical answer, they just cried out the more, crucify him, crucify him. I tell you what, when people do not have a factual answer, but they want somebody out of the way, they just revert to violent mob shouting. That's what they do. It's always been that way. In the West, when somebody was arrested for being a horse thief, and he was innocent, and maybe somebody even said, we know he's innocent, but, but other people wanted somebody hung. And he tried to speak on his behalf, or somebody tried to speak for him, they just shouted him down and said, hang him, hang him. And many people were hanged in the West and in the South who were innocent. And Jesus was treated in this way, and they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, there are other details that we're told in other, others of the Gospels. You just read Matthew's account and Luke's account and John's account, and you fill in all the details that aren't in Mark's account. Mark gives us an abbreviated description of it. But what we see here is a fulfillment of the Father's plan carried out by the wickedness of sinful man. The fulfillment of the Father's plan carried out by sinful man. Now here's the closing question. What does this story 2,000 years ago have to do with me in 2018? With you in 2018? How does it have any connection to us? And you could say, well, one connection is that had we been there, we might have been Judas betraying him. We might have been Peter denying him. We might have been Pilate wanting to wash our hands of the whole mess but fearing the crowd giving in. Well, all that's true and there's lessons we can learn from all that. But here's what it really says to me is that before I was ever born, God knew me And he loved me, and he sent his son to bear my sin in an unjust trial in order that the justice of God could be satisfied. 
Do you know that a holy God could never allow sin to be unpunished and a sinner to come into his presence with sin on him? Do you understand that? Does that make sense? God is so holy, the Bible says, and we sang holy, holy, holy. Listen, God is so holy that his righteous anger and wrath against sin is just, and it must be satisfied. And there are only two places that sin against a holy God can be dealt with. One is in hell. People who die in rebellion and in unbelief and in rejection of God's grace, their sin will be punished, but it will be punished in hell forever and forever and forever. But there is another place. There is another place And it's on a hill called Golgotha, outside the city of Jerusalem, where my sin was laid on the innocent Son of God. And he bore it in his own body on the tree in order that I could be forgiven. And more than just forgiven, I could be declared righteous by faith in him. Now I'd ask you today, if you were to die today, what have you done with your sin? You see, Pilate asked the question, what shall I do with this man called Jesus? Friend, that's the question everybody has to answer. What will you do with Jesus? Will you ignore him? Well, you can't ignore him. You're like somebody standing out in the middle of I-35 during rush hour and say, I'm just going to ignore the traffic. No, you just get run over by the traffic. You don't ignore Jesus. You receive him and his benefits and his forgiveness. Or you reject him to your peril. What shall I do? with this man called Jesus. What will you do with this man called Jesus? My prayer is that if you have not already, you would welcome him with joy and gratitude and say, thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross and giving me your righteousness before the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you today for your amazing grace. Lord, I know that because we sing about it, we talk about it, we read about it, we've known about it all our life, our greatest danger is to lose the wonder of it and to forget that our sin was horrible, that our sin was grievous, Our sin was worthy of condemnation, 
judgment and hell. And that in loving kindness, Jesus came, ruined sinners to reclaim. And I pray that if there's even one person here today who has never welcomed Jesus into their heart, that by faith they would do so today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.